0: So we have a guest today in the studio. because Shane is out of the office. Hello, Eugene. Howdy. So Eugene, introduce yourselves to our to our lovely audience.
1: Uh, hi everybody. My name is Eugene Ale. I am uh, actually in the finance department here at AGU. Um been here for about a year and a half and really excited to be here. I love... Eugene
0: told me it was his Eugene told me it was his dream to be on this <laughs> podcast. So no, we're really we're is. letting I him said... we're allowing him to live out his dream right now, everyone. I'm
1: thrilled to be here.
0: So, speaking of dreams, did you ever hear of that guy whose, I guess, dream, was it to
2: fly? Oh, the guy who who touched balloons to his lawn chair, that guy?
1: Yeah, did you ever hear, <laughs> do you remember this, like, a few years ago? We're not talking about the animated movie? No! Okay. That did in an animated movie. This was
0: actually in real life.
1: No, I did not hear you about
0: it. Oh, so he, he put um, balloons on his lawn chair and... Per- carried himself in the air right
2: yeah
1: how many balloons did it take
2: i don't know there was multiple balloons yeah
0: (laughs) and i guess it was a stunt but then it turned into a sport
1: wow wait wasn't there like that (laughs) balloon boy wasn't that like a a thing like a decade ago the the kid they thought he was in um like got carried away by balloons and he was like really hiding in like in like the attic or something i don't remember that was that I, you? Was that I'm you, not, Eugene? No, no, I hope I'm not making that up. <laughs> but no, that, I, I definitely remember seeing that. Maybe it was more than 10 years ago. I thought that was like a, one of those Locky daytime like, drama things. Right. Okay balloon. Right.
0: Balloon boy. Okay, that's your new nickname, balloon boy. <laughs> Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and methods behind the science. These are the stories that you won't read in a manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Nancy Bomby.
1: I'm Eugene Hale.
0: And I'm Liza Lester. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So, we did look it up just now, and Eugene was correct. It's there real? is a balloon boy, even though none of us heard of it.
1: Oh, good. I'm not going crazy. And his name
0: is not Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: did you think you'd come on this podcast and
0: just get made fun of, I guess, is
1: the... Uh... I kind of expected that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, but, guest, uh, guest host, I think. Yeah, but happens. we are
0: not just making fun of Eugene today. We actually have a
2: story. That's right.
0: About, science and, about and science and balloons. And
2: balloons. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, back at Fall Meeting in 2018, last December, I talked to um, Siddharth Krishnamurthy, he's a physicist and engineer at the Jet Propulsion Lab, and he's involved in this project to send balloons to Venus. Wow! Yeah. To do he's what? I'm going to fly them through Venus and listen for Venus quakes.
3: I am Siddharth Krishnamurthy, I work at the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, and. I work on detecting seismic activity on Venus, but not from the ground, but from balloons floating on Venus. So, so from we, the air.
2: We can go hot air ballooning on Venus?
3: Uh, probably a little risky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to do hot air ballooning on Venus. It's not exactly the <laughs> Cappadocia there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I mean, it would be a helium balloon quite likely, so, and and the, the passengers would be a suite of sensors. Uh, hopefully ours is a part of that suite. Uh, and what it does is it basically measures pressure fluctuations, um, and it so seismic activity produces some of these pressure fluctuations, and so what we hope to do is record these pressure fluctuations and be able to sort of, say, produce a map of quakes on Venus. And so, so that's the exciting part of it.
2: Have the balloons been tried before?
3: They have actually, so a lot of people would find this very surprising, but as early as the 1980s, uh, the Soviet Union floated a couple of balloons in the Venus atmosphere uh, they're called the Vega balloons. <laughs> And almost immediately, they actually sort of testified to the utility of balloons on Venus because, um, you know, where the landers lasted for a few hours, the balloons were still going after two days. Uh, and they stopped going after two days, not because the balloons died, but the batteries died. So they may have been the balloons may have been going on for like a few more days after that. So 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 we actually have heritage of balloons having been floated on Venus, like an ocean, but it's, it's very dense compared to the Earth.
2: So It feels thick almost. It
3: yeah, it presses down on you pretty hard. So ninety. So just for reference, the Earth's uh, uh, atmosphere is one atmosphere pressure uh, on the sea level. Uh, on an average, and so it's 90 times that, uh, so it presses down on you pretty hard. Um, and most things, uh, well, uh, we have sent things to the surface of Venus uh, uh, by we, I mean the human
1: race. <laughs>
3: Uh, the Soviet Union did that in the in the 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, called the Venera landers, uh, and nothing has survived for longer than a few hours. And that's primarily because the electronics don't like 460 degrees. So you know anyone who's ever touched any piece of electronic hardware knows that it's going to die pretty quickly in that in that environment.
2: Why yeah. is it so hot?
3: It has a lot of carbon dioxide, so uh, I think it's ninety-eight percent. So you know, when we talk of like climate change and, and the greenhouse effect on Earth, uh, Venus has something called runaway greenhouse effect. So at some point, and this is one of the mysteries about Venus, is that it's so similar to the Earth in terms of uh, you know size and volume. Uh, we call it Earth's twin planet, but it has this weird runaway greenhouse effect that at some point it sort of went down a completely different evolution path. And now it has this extremely inhospitable climate on the surface. Uh, and and yeah, so, so it's the carbon dioxide that's trapping all the heat.
2: But we could go ballooning higher up in the atmosphere and it might be a little more pleasant?
3: Uh, yeah, a lot more pleasant, actually. So uh, the plan is uh, to be at about like 60 kilometers Uh, And 60 kilometers above the surface, the temperature is more like one degree, uh, zero degrees Celsius, uh, that order, and about one atmosphere. So it's it's very like, yeah. It's
2: like freezing, but kind of... Yeah, so it's kind of
3: like DC this evening, right? (laughs) 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 Except for the sulfuric acid, I guess. So so that's (laughs) the only thing you have to protect against. Uh, (laughs) You have these clouds on Venus that are like... So talk of inhospitable, like the surface is really hot, and then there's th- these sulfuric acid clouds. So, <laughs> so pretty tough environment. But like at 60 kilometers, you don't have to solve the temperature survival problem. Uh, so it's much, much more pleasant for electronics, for, you know, not just your sensors, but everything that needs to be there to support your sensors. So, you know, the batteries and the communication and the memory and the processing. So all of that survives so much longer at that height.
2: So Venus on the on the surface, it's rocky. It's dry. Is it doesn't have water like it's Earth?
3: Yeah, it, it it definitely doesn't have water. Uh, it could have had water. Like there are, there are. Uh, I'm not as much of a surface scientist, so um, you know I'm not the authority on this. But I believe uh, that the general opinion is that it could have had water sometime along its evolutionary path. Uh, and it's kind of the same you know, so any study of the solar system I think is incomplete without studying Venus because, so we focus a lot of our attention on Earth and Mars, uh, you know, but Venus is as a terrestrial planet is also extremely critical to that story of the early solar system, uh, especially because it, it seems so similar to the Earth in so many ways. So there may have been water some point of in time in, in the evolution process, but the surface is pretty dry. Uh, One of the interesting things is it's very hard to actually see the surface of Venus because these clouds that I was talking about, um, they completely obscure, Uh, they're very thick, they whip around the planet faster than the planet rotates around its own self. Uh, So it's something called a super rotating atmosphere. We don't know how it got that way. Uh, There's theories about it, but we don't know how it got that way.
2: So it's mysterious. It's mysterious. Would it feel like a, a gale? If you were standing on the
3: surface? So on the surface, I don't think the winds are that high. But it's like as you go higher, uh, you know, the winds really, really pick up. Um, And so the atmosphere sort of goes around the planet about once every four days. The planet rotates about itself once every, I think, 200 plus days. So it's very, very slow. A day on Venus is longer than a year on Venus. (laughs) Uh, So... Go figure, right? <laughs> uh, in fact, they found that the atmosphere is so thick and rotating so quickly, it actually exerts a torque on the solid planet and like changes the length of the day. So it's a, so it's a completely strange kind of world. And I think a general attitude as human beings is if we find something strange, we like to go see what, what's going on. And so I think that's why it's like super, <laughs> super interesting as a as a planet to go see it, uh, because, you know, uh, and so uh, all we have is um, some radar images uh, from the 1990s, from the Magellan spacecraft. And that's revealed a lot of these intricate networks of like seismic structures. So, you know, flat planes surrounded by things that look like stretch marks. So, you know, the land has kind of jostled around. Uh, I I love how one of my uh, colleagues describes it. he says, it's basically like jostling pack ice. Uh, so uh, think okay. of like a glacier field and, you know, things kind of like jostling against each other and grinding against each other. And so that still produces ground motion. So it's not quite the same as it is on Earth where, like, you know, a, s- a plate will suddenly slip past each other while pressing against it. This is This looks a little bit different that way, but it still produces ground motion. We don't know if that's still active because we've never made an active seismic measurement. Uh, we have a few images from the surface from these Venera landers, uh, but of course they don't look very far because you know you lasted there for not very long and you know they're very localized images but yeah it's kind of a rocky dry surface.
0: So, have they actually detected
2: earthquakes on other planets before? Well, so at the time I talked to Siddharth back in December, the answer was no. But since then, the Insight Lander on Mars has thought it felt a faint Mars quake. Yes, that's what's there to see if there are Mars quakes, and yeah. um, there are moonquakes.
1: That's amazing.
0: You didn't know that moonquakes. I had no idea. Moonquakes. I figured it
1: was dormant. I yeah, didn't think there was any a geological rock. activity. It just
2: happens differently.
1: Mm. Uh, Don't ask me
2: that much,
0: but <laughs> it does
2: differently. <laughs> <laughs> You were mentioning that it looked like there could be some tectonics maybe going on on mm-hmm. Venus. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people probably wouldn't know. Like other planets aren't always like Earth. They don't always have earthquakes or these tectonic plates mm-hmm. that move on mm-hmm. the surface. So mm-hmm. Tell tell me about. I mean, you may have to tell us also about Earth. How sure. how is Earth's um, sort of activity different from Venus or from what Venus. we what we know about Venus?
3: Yeah. So on Earth, um, you know, we have these like giant continental plates. Uh, And these plates move against each other and like press against each other. And, you know, that's how landforms are created and destroyed. Uh, And every time these plates sort of slip past each other or, you know, have some pressure release, you get an earthquake. Now, it's generally agreed upon that Venus does not have these large-scale plates. But if you look at this Magellan data... uh, and a lot of our very smart friends in the geology community uh, look at these Magellan data, Uh, you find lots and lots and lots of telltale signs of some sort of seismic behavior. Now, we don't know if that happened in the last, you know, like a billion years ago, (laughs) or if it happened in the more recent geological past. Uh, But there are these, you know, so like I said, there's like a flat plane surrounded by these stretch mark-like looking things uh there are these tesserae on venus which are which have fascinated people for a really long time uh there's a bunch of structures that look like shield volcanoes uh and we don't know if they're active we don't know if there's active volcanism so when we want to make seismic measurements we're not only we're not only interested in the venus quakes we're also interested in venus volcanism if it exists uh so just even figuring out whether it's active at this time uh is like a huge deal yeah.
2: So we don't know if it has like a molten core the way our Earth does.
3: Oh yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, so uh, right now I think the the impression is that Venus has uh, it it uh, it has a solid core surrounded by like a, a, a liquid mantle, but the crust is like a lid. So it's like a you know unlike the Earth where you know the crust kind of cracks open and you know lava comes out. It's like it's like a frozen lid sort of thing. Uh, but there's new arguments that suggest especially looking at some of these geological properties that it's somewhere between like a stagnant lid and what the Earth's situation is with like massive plates. So like there's like, so, which is again interesting because it occupies this like sort of weird middle ground which can tell us a lot about like how, you know, the planet's evolving. Um, Yeah, so so it has, um, So but we know then very little about what's going on underneath that crust. We do know it's a very thin crust because it's it's kind of it's it's so hot, right? like so the crust doesn't cool very easily. Uh, and in fact, I think the general opinion is that if there is active seismic activity going on, it's in these like planar regions surrounded by these belts because that's where the crust is probably the thinnest. And so that's how it like tends to jostle around. but we again, all of this is. Educated <laughs> speculation, because we haven't <laughs> made a direct measurement of it, yeah.
2: So it's more like a crust that's just set harder, and it, it can't move as yeah. much the way the, ba- way the Basically,
3: so uh, if, if it's a, uh, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, so the idea is that, you know, there's heat inside the planet. And now that heat ha- heat creates pressure, right? And that pressure has to sort of let go somehow. Uh, on Earth, we see that through like volcanic explosions and, and earthquakes, and you know, so that's the stress release mechanism. Uh, on Venus, uh, one of the speculation uh, or one of the ideas is that there is this uh, kind of like catastrophic resurfacing. So it's not, you know, so not that the whole planet sort of suddenly gets resurfaced, but large parts of the planet sort of periodically you know and when i say periodically i'm talking of everything in geological time scale so this this period is really long <laughs> uh so a lot of times like it it may be that the you know this 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 sort of resurfacing event where like you know the mantle sort of pours out and just covers entire areas but we don't know th- when this happened or if this has happened uh but what we do know is that there's no like large scale continental plate tectonic sort of thing
2: yeah oh but you're saying it could crack open and you could have essentially lava like it hasn't happened uh,
3: it hasn't happened in the recent geological past Mm -hmm. uh and again i think you should confirm this with someone (laughs) who's more educated about this than i am uh but but there is uh, there is sort of uh you know there is theorizing around it in that uh you know in in its geological past. there have been events where, you know, yeah, the the crust kind of cracked open and like a bunch of mantle material just poured out and resurfaced certain areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So how can, how can earthquakes and other natural seismic activity tell us about what is interior to a planet? Uh,
3: so on earth, uh, in fact, we know so much about the earth's interior because we have this giant network of seismometers, uh, all around the planet and so what happens is you know when a quake happens somewhere in the earth's interior uh it sends out these seismic waves and these seismic waves are traveling through a medium uh you know so through the earth's mantle and and th- through earth's crust rather uh, so when it's traveling through the earth's crust like it reaches these different stations at different points of time and like you know you can look at the time of arrival and how the waves Change as they travel through the earth uh, and and sort of invert that for what the Earth actually looks like, so it's kind of like uh, doing you know when you go to the hospital and do an x-ray it's in a in a certain sense like that right so so you just look at how the waves have changed. Uh, as they travel from one place to another, and that tells you a
1: lot about the interior. So I wonder if they just sit around waiting for earthquakes to get the data they need?
2: I mean, they kind of do. I mean, you can listen for like a nuclear explosion, I guess. But actually, so they have this thing called a seismic hammer. A seismic hammer? Cool. Yeah, that you can use to make a little earthquake. <laughs> that sounds pretty
0: cool.
3: So we actually did an experiment kind of like that uh, last year. Uh, we, because you know, on Earth you don't really know when an earthquake is going to happen, so we went out to uh, the Nevada desert, uh, and we used this thing called the seismic hammer, uh, <laughs> very aptly <laughs> named. Uh, and just to give you a sense of scale, this thing's probably so it's it's 13 tons, so it's uh, 30,000 pounds, pretty heavy for a hammer, uh, and it's it's about 10 meters or so high, so it's pretty high. Uh, And so this thing essentially dropped this 13 ton weight on the ground and you can imagine that produces a little bit of shaking And we had seismometers sort of pick up the shaking, but we also had barometers, uh, so pressure sensors pick up the sound of the air as it's shaken by the ground So, you know, the ground kind of shakes the air and we're able to pick that up as well you're listening for the earthquake. We're, we're listening for the quake. Well, uh, listening is a little bit of a misnomer because okay. this is uh, this is infrasound. So infrasound is uh, pressure waves under 20 hertz, uh, and 20 hertz, as you know, is the lower limit of human hearing. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, maybe if you're an elephant, you could hear some <laughs> part of it. You can't uh, hear <laughs> You it. can't hear this. Yeah. Or we
2: can't hear it. But yeah. it's the same concept. It's the same sound. concept. Yeah. 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 It's the way that that's right. what sound is. It's right. the changes in pressure that right. yeah. we're detecting in our ears. Yeah. But you are detecting it with instruments. Instruments. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pressure yeah. sensors. Yeah. So how do you how do you lift a? Did you say 13 ton? Yeah. Uh, hammer.
3: It turns out the we we actually. Don't know because it's proprietary. Oh. <laughs> uh, so it's so it's actually its main use is in uh, oil exploration uh, because, you know, this is exactly like, you know, hitting the ground with a hammer and you watch how the waves reflect off of the subsurface mm-hmm. and it kind of produces an image of the subsurface. And, oh, you know, if you have like an oil well or something under the surface, you can see it. Uh, so... All we know is there was hanging off of a crane and periodically this heavy thump happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's about <laughs> it. Like, I don't I, I don't think we know how the, uh, you know, what the me- mechanism of that is. Yeah. So.
2: And you're also listening for these things, not only from the ground, but from balloons. But so from like, balloons, exactly. So yeah.
3: one of the neat things about balloons is that, so, so infrasound from the ground has been around actually for some time. Like, So the uh, committee for the Comprehensive uh, Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization, uh, they, uh, they use infrasound as one of their confirmation mechanisms for uh, a nuclear explosion that's happened somewhere in the world. So that idea has existed because infrasound also travels really far. Uh, but they've mostly done it from stations on the ground. Uh, and... Two things about stations on the ground one is that wind noise is actually a problem because you know as you know if i were to blow on this microphone it kind of sounds like noise and basically it's the same idea Uh, but a balloon uh, when the wind shifts the balloon kind of flies with the wind so it sees very little noise because you know you're not really feeling a breeze on the balloon Uh, so that's one advantage the other is if you wanted to make measurements let's say over the ocean or areas where it's hard for you to go put a ground sensor the balloon could just overfly it and still pick it up so so i think balloons even for earth science have these two very important advantages uh, over ground stations but of course ground stations have the advantage that you can you're not restricted by how much mass you can fly so you can have a station as large as you want as heavy as you want you can put your best you know, heaviest, most power-hungry sensors on the ground. But on a balloon, you have this challenge of like, this engineering challenge of making things small and efficient. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How much can the balloon lift?
3: Uh, Different balloons lift different amounts. Uh, I mean, there are balloons that have lifted 10,000 pounds. Our balloons don't usually lift (laughs) 10,000 pounds. Our sensors are not actually that heavy and we are in... Uh, So we're able to, thanks to the NASA Balloon Program Office, uh, who help us, you know, so so sometimes they're flying a mission for another experiment and, you know, there's a little bit of space there. So, you know, we get an email saying, hey, there's some space here if you want to contribute your sensors. We do that a fair bit. Uh, Our our sensors typically are like, at this point, maybe like like a couple of kilos. Uh, And we're working very hard to like, you know, constantly miniaturize them because you pay a lot of money per kilograms for sending something to another planet. So the smaller you are, the more attractive you are for someone who's taking you there.
2: So NASA's yeah. not going to let you send the 13-ton hammer to Uh Venus. <laughs> yeah, I
3: I think I think there may be problems. I don't know if they'll if they won't let us, but uh, I will I think I will bet that they won't let us. <laughs> 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 it would be a problem. Yeah. 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 I think other, I think other people also need space to do their experiments. <laughs> so
2: you're yeah. going to have to listen for for natural seismic activity on on Venus. Yeah.
3: The real aim here is to demonstrate on Earth that we can pick up natural earthquakes. Uh, so what we want to do is put our sensors on balloons uh, and fly them in the stratosphere uh, and and fly them over areas that have high seismic activity. Uh, and if we can demonstrate uh, that we can pick up one of these quakes on the Earth, um, the atmosphere on Venus is much thicker than the Earth, and so the, the energy from the shaking of the ground uh, couples into the atmosphere much more effectively uh, on Venus, so sixty times more effectively, so if you can pick this up on the Earth and the signal exists on Venus, you can be fairly sure that I- the signal level on Venus would be higher,
2: and the atmosphere will actually help you yeah, exactly
3: yeah. because it's so thick, yeah so.
2: have you ever been up in a balloon?
3: I haven't as it turns <laughs> out. Uh, in in this in this Nevada experiment, uh, we had one of our colleagues in a hot air balloon. Uh, and that would have been cool, uh, except it was a really hot day, uh, and uh, I'm told it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't all that fun, but uh, but yeah, I'd like to at some point. Uh, maybe not on Venus. Maybe no maybe hot air. air yeah, maybe no hot air balloons <laughs> on Venus. But you know, uh, I'd like to be in the air and, and see see what the views like. Yeah.
0: So they've been testing this stuff in the Nevada desert. Obviously. That's right. Yeah. They have not been to Venus though. This is just their idea. That's right. This team hasn't been to Venus. Right, but oh, but other people have obviously well the the people, but the instruments. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So this is their idea. This is what they'd like to do, basically.
2: Yeah, I think his is one of the instruments that might be on this balloon. Like they're going to cram as many on there as they can to do lots of different types of experiments. Oh,
1: well, that makes sense. Yeah, expensive to go to Venus, I presume.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and we can send Eugene with them too.
1: Have to make a little more space.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Did you always want to do planetary research?
3: I think so. Uh, I mean I I also wanted to be an astronaut I kind (laughs) of still do uh, but I've I've tempered my expectations from life a little bit (laughs) but uh, I think along the way I just got really excited about cool science in outer space I mean just that sentence sounds pretty cool like cool science (laughs) in outer space Uh, I'm actually an aerospace engineer by training Uh, I'm I like instruments I like working on things that will enable planetary exploration. So I, I work mostly on, you know, putting the sensors together, doing the flights, uh, doing the data analysis. Uh, so I'm I come at it from a more engineering perspective, and then I have a lot of great minds uh, who are ex- excited about it, and they know a lot more about this than you know I do. So I can always run to them for like you know science <laughs> knowledge, uh, and and they've been great. Yeah, it's been fantastic.
2: So you have people that they know about Venus, they have people yeah. that know about balloons, that know about infrasound yeah. and you all come together. Yeah,
3: it's such a great team. Like, uh, I love putting these sensors on, on flights because I discover something new every time uh, and I've, the one thing I have learned is anything that I don't test eventually tells me to test it <laughs> <laughs> in some way or another. Uh, so every time you turn a piece of hardware on, you expect it to do a certain sequence of things and it just... S- sneakily finds a way to like not do what you expect it to do and then you have to go and figure out all right turn it on bit by bit and see oh this is what went wrong and like it's a slow process of debugging and I think I think most scientists if not all of them and engineers just have gone through this debugging hell at some point in their life (laughs) you know just slowly and it's sometimes it's fun because it's like almost like forensic science because you're like something went wrong I want to figure out what went wrong so let's start turning things on piece by piece and then figure it out and then there's no better feeling than like fixing it (laughs) <laughs> and then you don't want to ever do it again, but you have to do it again. So, so it happens a bunch of times. So you
2: like solving the puzzle, but then there's yeah. another puzzle. Yeah. yeah and sometimes and you're like, I just want it to work.
3: Right. Yeah. And next week is one of those things where, well, I mean, I've I've done more than just wish. I think, I think we've all worked very hard to make this as perfect as we can. And beyond that, you're just like, you know, we're not superstitious people, but you at some point just cross your fingers and sit and hope everything like goes off correctly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay, thanks, Adan. Uh,
3: no problem. Thank you.
2: So, Eugene, was this
0: everything you thought it would be hosting this podcast?
1: Cool. This was amazing. Thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> and the science is so cool. What did you learn? Well, I never thought like earthquakes picking up earthquakes through the air. Uh, who would have Who would have thought about it? And,
0: I guess right. You think of earthquakes Enos. on the land. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. You can hear earthquakes. It, right. If yeah. you're an yeah. elephant. Yeah. Oh.
1: And- <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, through their feet. They hear (laughs) infrasound through their feet. Yeah. I watch a lot of, like, nature. Yeah. (laughs) But the other thing that's super cool is thinking about how different geology is on other planets, right? All the laws of physics are still the same, but the way it's described is it sounds like a whole continent just, from time to time, subsides and is covered by Venus lava. That's like that's crazy. Could you imagine that here on Earth?
0: I know it's pretty oh. it's pretty wild. I know Venus is a crazy, crazy yes. place. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hell Earth, or they yeah. call it like a very unfriendly to humans. It's like Earth but bad. All right, so that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thank you so much, Liza, for bringing us
2: this story. Well, thank you, Nancy. And of course, thanks to Siddharth for sharing his work with us. This podcast was produced by
0: Liza Lester and thanks to Adele Coleman for producing this episode. And of course, to Eugene for being our guest host. Thank you for having me.
2: We would love to hear your thoughts on our podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes and you can always find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks everyone and see you next time.